Hey everyone, my name is Juan Clark. I'm a second year MHA student in the Sloan Program in Health Administration, and I'll be your host for The Health Conscious. The Health Conscious is a podcast that was started by students in the Sloan Program in Health Administration at Cornell University. The podcast was created to educate our audience by providing a stimulating discussion on the U.S. healthcare industry and how it works. We'll be interacting with professionals in various sectors of healthcare to hear their career matriculation, perspectives of the current state of healthcare, and key challenges and solutions to address them. As always, we want to thank all of our listeners for their continued support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm joining you today with two guests, Kyle Underwood and Adam Haas from Cleveland Clinic. Since I have two of you on today, I would just like to just turn it over for you all to introduce yourselves. Thank you so much, Juan, for having us. My name is Kyle Underwood. I'm originally from San Diego, California. People always ask me why Cleveland. We'll get to that. I did my undergrad at UC San Diego in public health and business and did my graduate degree at the University of Southern California in Health Administration. Um, after my graduate degree, I completed a one-year administrative residency at Providence St. Joseph Health and decided I wanted to pursue an administrative fellowship and had the privilege of joining the Cleveland Clinic as an administrative fellow and just completed that about a year ago when I then entered a role as a program manager in the Head and Neck Institute. Really excited to be on this call and look forward to talking more. Of course, of course. Juan, thank you for the opportunity for letting us to get on here and chat about things that mean a lot to us professionally and personally. Um, you know, growing up, going into healthcare, it's no, it's I knew it's where I wanted to go. Um, so I just graduated my undergraduate degree from Kent State University um, here in the Cleveland, Ohio area. I studied an undergrad in business management uh, with minors in health services administration, healthcare system management, and associate degree in liberal arts to try to understand how the ins and outs of healthcare works. Um, during my undergrad, I was able to work at Akron General Cleveland Clinic in the emergency department um, as a healthcare coordinator, coordinating trauma teams, residents, attendings. Um, and when I was doing that, that's when I found my purpose for healthcare. Knew this is where I wanted to keep going. So when I graduated, I accepted enrollment into Case Western Reserve University um, in their Masters of a Business Administration Focus and Healthcare Administration program. I'm currently enrolled in that right now, and I also am working as an administrative assistant level two in the Head and Neck Institute, um, supporting all the departments, uh, including otology, audiology, head and neck cancer, dental, um, and some of the other departments involved as well. Wow, that's actually pretty cool. You all both have very different backgrounds, but I can definitely see why you all are both at Cleveland Clinic. Um, you know, I would love to know more about your interest in healthcare. Both of you all strike me as very passionate individuals. So I would just love to hear you all discuss how you all found your why. And if so, is your why different than your purpose? That's a great question, Juan. And it's funny, the first time I met Adam, I kind of grilled him and said, let me know your why. What's your why? So it's, it's one of my favorite <laughs> questions. So when I... um was four years old, I was actually diagnosed with a rare disease called Hunter's syndrome, which led to a lifetime of doctor's appointments, surgeries, weekly infusions. You, you name a doctor, I've seen them. And that was my first four-way in, uh, insurance into networking. And through that, I got to see the good and the bad and the ugly of healthcare. And that really informed my desire to want to go into healthcare and really make a difference. And um, for me, you know, health admin made the most sense because I was able to bring into my problem-solving skills, bring that patient perspective to the table, and that's really where my why comes from. And your question about why versus purpose, that's a really good thing to distinguish. I think your why is really back to your story and that kind of energizes you to get to where you're at. And the purpose for me is taking that perspective, taking that story and inspiring others to do greatness in their roles. So for me coming into work every day, I can think 
of a patient, whether it be a clinical operation um, decision we have to make, or maybe we're dealing with some provider issues, how can we bring the patient perspective to the table every time and being that voice for that community? Oh, thank you. Yeah, Kyle hit the nail on the head there, Juan. And, you know, when I take a look back is, is when you really take a reflection on why you're doing something and actually how are you completing your why, it will allow you to really find so much joy and peace into your role. Um, so for me growing up, my father being a physician, he was he's a very well-respected urologist. Um, and growing up, you know, my father never had great administration support. It was during that trend in healthcare where it was starting to get more adapting towards healthcare administration. So back in 2010 till 2015, when my father was really fighting a lot of the clinical battles that providers see today of mental health burnout, um, caregiver well-being, he didn't have that support. So it was very hard for me sometimes to go to a sporting event and know that my father's at work or staying late charting because he doesn't have no scribe support or any other direct administration support or the whole family get togethers on the weekends, uh, you know, for Christmas and Easter and my father's on call because he has no administration support and understanding how to recruit providers. So for me, my why in healthcare administration is to help eliminate burnout, to make sure that the kid out there that whose father is an up and coming rising star, you know, in the, the clinical world can get home to his kid, right? I mean, these providers have lives outside of work and that is why I do it. And for my purpose, you know, I find so much joy in my day-to-day adventures of healthcare, you know, being an administrative assistant, supporting a, dro- a doctor directly or being looped in into a project and thinking as a thought partner with a group of a department, um, you know, being able to do those, seeing the clinical improvements that I actually can persuade and in my day-to-day duties to help make sure nobody ever has to go through that clinical burnout that my father did is what pushes me and lights a fire under me in healthcare administration. Wow. Um, I mean, that's very inspirational for both of you. I think, you know, Kyle, you talked about the patient perspective and how you can kind of take that and it also influences your decisions as an administrator. I think that's a very kind of cool dynamic that many people don't necessarily get a chance to really uh, live through and actually get the, uh, the opportunity to really work within that. And then also, of course, your purpose is sharing your story. I think that, you know, and a lot of times people always think this purpose is this grandioso thing. But in reality, it's your story. It's your shared experiences. So um, I, I really liked how you touched on that aspect. And then um, for, for Adam, we have very similar backgrounds. So my mother is a primary care physician who owned her own clinical practice growing up. So uh, a lot of the same things, you know, a lot of the games she would spend, you know, uh, at the office or oftentimes even when we were at home, she was still charting or doing other things. So I really liked how you hinted on the fact of bringing that humanity back to healthcare. So we think about a lot of providers who are going through burnout or, you know, overworked or very stressed. It's because a lot of times people view them as a commodity. They're always on always have to be ready, you know, always have to be there. But, you know, doctors are just people as well. So I, I really liked how, how both of you guys touched on that. I want to see if we could shift gears here just a little bit and talk about your careers. Kyle, you finished your administrative fellowship a year ago at Cleveland Clinic and became a program manager for the Head and Neck Institute. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced in transitioning from a fellow to a manager? It's a great question. Everybody kind of wonders what's it looks like. And I think for one, I would have to say the fellowship prepared me greatly for this role. And I think it allowed me to not only understand the hard skills, but the soft skills. When you're working in an organization inside the Cleveland Clinic, there's so many different teams and dynamics and political things you have to get through. And being able to manage those on a high level with leadership allows you to feel more confident going into 
a role where you're in a smaller team. I think the biggest difference and challenge was, you know, who you reported to and who your essentially bosses were as a fellow is all your different project teams. Where now, when you're at um, at the program manager role, it's very much um, tied to that smaller team. And I like that because I'm able to be more integrated into the day-to-day decision-making, being able to mentor people on our floor and being able to be that kind of voice of reason at that smaller level. On the flip side, you were always the person they call for if there's a fire going on or need some help here. So it's finding that balance. But I think having the ability to problem solve and work with that tight-knit team is about, you get to build that relationship better than being so kind of tied to a variety of different people. And the reason... Um, um, for our fellowship at Cleveland Clinic, it's project-based. Others are more rotation-based. So ours is typically multiple different teams. And that um, allows you to learn a lot, but also can make you feel a little bit strapped. So I think being in that that role that had a neck is to allow me to really understand that team dynamic and get to grow. Wow, I think that's great. You know, something that you really touched on was that your fellowship was project-based. Um, you know, for some of our listeners, there really are two types of fellowship. There are those that are rotational, which means that each month or a certain period of time, you're constantly rotating. And the other is actually project-based, which means depending on the project, you could be working on anything across the entire system. And so as you talked about, you know, kind of having that skill set or being strapped and feel prepared for that, you know, I was contributing, you know, a lot of that's actually being a project-based fellowship. Would you, would you agree as well? No, I agree. I think it's allowed me to understand time management more and the ability to um, say no as well. I think that's something, you know, as us as eager early careers, we're always willing to say, yes, let's do this and this and being more thoughtful and intentional about that. And I think the other thing is, you know, with that project-based fellowship is that you get to explore things that you really don't think you would probably do or wouldn't think of doing without just trying it. And hey, if you don't like it, you don't like it, you move on, but it gives you that breadth of knowledge that allowed me to be in my role and really understand what I like, what I don't like, and what I want to learn more about. Wow. Again, great opportunity and experience. Adam, you previously worked at the Cleveland Clinic Akron site, and now you work at the main campus while pursuing your MHA. Um, I had a few years of experience in healthcare prior to beginning my MHA, and that really helped connect a lot of the dots on some of the broader concepts of healthcare I was learning in school. So I'm curious to know if your experience in the industry has helped you gain a better understanding of healthcare that you're being taught in the classroom. Absolutely, Juan. And, you know, one thing that I was going to say was I urge everybody who's, whether you're in your undergraduate degree or you're in your master's, to pursue some sort of entry-level healthcare um, administration job that will allow you to really see everything. So for me, when I first started in my undergrad, um, they started me off as PRN. So that means I'd pick up shifts when I could. Um, So I was able to get a feel about how my, my semesters were going, and then I would fully hop in, right? So for my master's now, it's full-time and, and, you know, my master's part-time and this job is full-time. Um, and, you know, it's really cool to be able to apply not just definitions of what you learn um, in school, but the, the case studies, right? And how a case study could be approached and how the problem solving in that case study was implemented to help improve, um, you know, that fire or that process improvement plan that they were rolling out. So for me, being blessed to be able to be thrown into some projects, um, whenever I'm asked, hey, how would you approach this? It really is helpful to go back to those case studies or, you know, if you have it saved on the folder at work, you know, you're, you're, you have your uh, work or your work email and your uh, school email combined. You can always go and be like, I think this is how I want to approach this problem. Let me go check that case study real quick and just see if that aligns with that, with those morals and, and how it's all unfolding. So being able to 
not just apply definitions, but actually reflect and study these case looks and, and apply them to your daily job will allow you to problem solve, not just help providers and their caregiver well-being, but also save patients' lives, which is what this is about at the end of the day. Wow, you hit it on two things that are honestly my kind of mini passion projects. Um, so you similar you talked about the pursuing a entry level role in healthcare administration, but for a lot of students, a lot of people don't realize those are internships, 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 internships. I'm a full proponent of internships. That is a three month period, usually kind of ten weeks, for you to really make all the mistakes you can make. And honestly, get paid for it. You get a chance to really get paid to learn from some of like, you know, the best leaders inside the, um, you know, health system as of now. And so I always urge students to get that experience and get the internship and then also rotate. I had uh, two different administrative internships before I actually entered my master's. And that also allowed me to have a much better understanding of my administrative internship at a graduate level and how I was supposed to really kind of navigate that because I kind of already been in many different hospital settings at that time. Moving from one place to another or focusing on one department versus another, all those were different experiences I was able to kind of pull on that really made me be successful. And so you don't get that in the classroom, uh, unfortunately, but you get that kind of being on the ground. And then, of course, the last thing is uh, the case studies and the case uh, competitions, what I would say as well. There is no better way to really kind of test your knowledge base or your theory and to really doing like case studies. You know, that's actually real life situations real life scenarios that a lot of people um, face in many different healthcare settings. So just getting that exposure to be able to kind of challenge your thought on one thing or to, uh, you know, incorporate something else that you wouldn't naturally kind of think of. I think those are all just great things that that make um, healthcare executives better in the future. Totally, Juan. And one thing that I noticed too, and, and, you know, a trend that I've noticed with early careers too, especially in their undergrads, um, is not everyone can afford to do an internship, right? They need right. to make income to pay for school. And, you know, I fell in that same boat, transparently, like I fell in that same boat, or it was hard for me I had internship opportunities, but I know I couldn't do an unpaid internship. So, you know, I did some digging. And, you know, if you these emergency department roles, these entry level emergency department roles will allow you to do PRN, like I said, pick up shifts and float all across the ED. So when I was my coordinator, I was able to, like I said, coordinate EMS teams, attendings, work with departments across all the hospitals. And when I was on night shift, when some of the days were a little calmer, I was blessed to be looped into some, into some process improvement ways to better communication and create other projects um, and assist and be a thought partner and, and sit in in meetings and really listen um, to hear how the emergency department, which is, you know, as the level one trauma center in, you know, a high populated area. Um, is the bread and butter, you know, to a Ooh. lot of people, a lot of patients that, that that need that that need that care. So, you know, I urge everyone if you can't, if if you have the humbleness to accept, hey, I don't think I can do an internship. I don't know if I can afford this to do an unpaid internship. Then look at PRN opportunities in the emergency department. What I learned, the exposure I had, being you know, boot on the ground, like you said, Juan, was absolutely just something I can never ever get back. Wow. And again, it sounds like such an amazing experience. Uh, you know, I actually didn't know much about the, um, you know, ED or PRN uh, position. I just, again, focus really on internships, but I think that that definitely highlights a lot of position where people are currently in now, in which, you know, they can, for example, um, you know, afford to take time off for an internship or they're in, in school. So looking at different alternatives, uh, thank you for, for providing that. I think the listeners will like that.
and I think another thing, and it's what I love about Adam is it's his perspective is so helpful when we're going through problem solving because he was at boots on the ground. I think sometime when we have go through undergrad and grad school, we think oh, these internships have to be in these admin departments. And the best lessons learned are when you're on that clinical, you know, uh, floor. And like I will go to Adam every day and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And he's like, you can go on the computer, figure it out, epic, things like that. So that's the beauty of having those diverse perspectives brought to the table. And I would encourage anyone, even if it's like for a couple of months, to just get out onto, you know, um, whether it be an emergency room or a clinical floor or something and understand what it's like to be at that front line, because it's going to give you not only perspective, it's going to give you humility, humility and also make you a better servant leader. Absolutely. I, to this day, I said my first job in healthcare was also my best job. Uh, at the age of 14, during summers, my mom, of course, would naturally have us working in her practice. And so I actually ran the front desk. Um, and so I would, you know, pick up patient calls, field their calls, schedule appointments, hear all their frustrations sometimes, be able to kind of navigate that. But what I didn't realize was that I really was building those people skills that I can now use even in my career today. So on a completely different level, completely different scale, but it's those skills and that foundation that builds off. So I think that that you definitely hit around the nail with that. Um, so uh, again, I want to shift gears just a tad bit again. And so you both seem to have a really kind of cool mentor-mentee relationship dynamic. I would love to hear from both of you about what are some key qualities needed to establish a good mentor-mentee relationship? Yeah, I think that's something that energizes Kyle and I so much is, is how important it is to have that relationship, right? Like I love telling people this and just being honest with it as we're at work more than we see our loved ones outside of it, right? We are at work. We're here all the time. We're here from like 7 a.m. to almost 6 p.m. Like we're putting in hours. So why not get close with your co- your coworkers? Why not see if there's a mentor out there that's willing to lend a helping hand? And, you know, I think Kyle and I stem our relationship off of psychological safety. Um, you know, we feel free with each other. We open up. We, we talk about life. Um, you know, and we, we have that, that raw emotion that is available and not everybody likes that at work. Some people like to leave that out the home at home and work at work and, and that's okay. But, you know, as mentor and mentee, I urge everybody be me being a mentee and Kyle being my mentor. I urge everybody to, you know, hit your mentor with, Hey, do you want to get coffee, you know, after work or before work, like do something outside of work. Because that is what, when me and Kyle really hit it off, that's when we really got super close. And, you know, we're not just mentor and mentee, we are best friends and we do do a lot of things together and everything that we do has a lesson behind it. Um, And, you know, one thing that is, is really cool um, is how we can interact professionally, but also personally and we have a perfect dynamic between it. And that allows us to not overstep boundaries. That allows us to not do unpolitical actions. Like we're both very professional with each other. And, you know, we both, we work on projects together, but we also have our own duties going on too. So it's very good to be able to find that balance between both built off psychological safety. Wow, that's cool. Really cool. Yeah, I mean, Adam definitely spoke well to it. Um, I think another thing it's very important is, you know, mentorship, for me, energizes me and Adam did the same thing. And when we're in our day-to-day grind of work and the multiple challenges that come in, I am excited to come every day because I'm able to work with my mentee and best friend and learn and grow together. And I think a couple of things that are important to that relationship is 
for one accountability. So being able to be kind of talk through things and ask questions and that comes in that psychological safety is like, Hey, you're doing this, let's fix this. Or you're doing this great. Keep it going. Another thing is, um, you know, that transparency and being vulnerable with each other. And I think lastly is, you know, being able to ask those hard questions and in taking those hard questions and using them to create change. What I love about Adam and I's relationship as mentor and mentee is not only can we help each other professionally, we can also help each other grow personally, but we are clear thought partners that we can come to the table and problem solve and make a difference in our, in our on our team. And I've been able to loop them in on projects and really get involved in a variety of things that typically I think an admin assistant wouldn't be involved in. And he's nailing out of the park because of the relationship we have. And I encourage individuals, whether they, they have a mentee on their floor or a mentee, you know, virtually, et cetera, to expose them to those opportunities because it allows you to grow into a better relationship and become better leaders. Wow, I really like that. Specifically, you know, Adam, you spoke about psychological safety. I think that is something that uh, is just an amazing concept that we really don't really see oftentimes inside of a professional setting or we wouldn't assume for it to be there. But in reality, you know, psychological safety occurs in so many other various sectors of our life that it should be in the workplace. And so I really like how you all were kind of, um, you know, willing to put that at the forefront of you all's relationship, as well as the same notions of accountability, transparency, and again, being thought partners. So I, I really like that dynamic. Totally. And I think something that's really cool is is creating that trust, right? And it's we all have been through so many things where we all have certain barriers that are put up. And if you can understand that sometimes it is okay to put your wall down and let people in, um, you can really see that there are some amazing human beings with very big hearts out there that just want to see you win and help you succeed. I love that. Uh, something I did want to ask about you all is that oftentimes people always think that it has to be the mentor constantly feeding into the mentee. But I can see a little bit from you all that it kind of goes back and forth. And so what are you all thoughts about the kind of notion of, you know, up up uh, mentorship? So the mentee also providing a lot of things for the mentor as well. I think that's a perfect balance. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to strike that. Um, for me, like with, with my point of view, my, I believe my value that I can, like, it's hard though for a mentee to lend a ton of professional value onto a mentor, mm -hmm. but I lend my helping hand of, you know, Kyle moved all the way across the country, you know, so my family has realized how close we have gotten and they have become a family to him. And that is something that it was, it, it was natural. It wasn't really intended, but when we, when my family was like, really saw how close we were, they really took Kyle in as a son of their own. And Kyle finally was able to experience, you know, when he came to Cleveland, leaving his family that he's so close with, not having that here, that's so far away, right? So it was very cool to see, you know, the impact that I had. And, and when you said that, like the up and down effect of mentor to mentee, mentee to mentor, I think a way to find that, that I challenge other duos um, is to naturally let things flow don't force anything and be aware just be aware of what's happening what's transpiring based off the season you're in every season you're in has every up and has every down but if you take a look at the season that you're in with your mentor or with your mentee you will unlock new levels of that relationship that you didn't know existed wow i love that uh, you're making me cry adam no um i i think <laughs> For me, well, I'm 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 forever attached to the Haas family, so there's that's a given there. But I think again, it's it's 
you know, the mentee provides so much value to the mentor. And I think that's sometimes the challenge. People are like, you know, I hope I'm not wasting your time or I hope, you know, you're finding value in this. And I learned so much about him every day. He, he challenges me to be better. He asks me questions that make me think. And I think lastly, he allows me to just be myself. And I think sometimes when we're in this professional all the time, you know, have your, you know, have your game face on, it's nice to be able to have those people that you can truly be yourself with and be vulnerable again with. I think another thing that uh, when it comes to that kind of upward thing is continuing to um, put yourself out there and be willing to take a risk. And I think sometimes it takes maybe somebody a little bit earlier on in their career to share what they're doing. They'd be like, well, maybe I'll throw my, throw my ring in the hat and do it. Um, and I, and at the end of the day, like it's nice to have a thought partner that has unique and diverse ideas that you can continue to learn from. And I, I always encourage, you know, when you're going into a mentor mentee relationship to just get rid of the titles, just call them by their name. Like, I mean, while we're mentor mentee, it's, you know, it's Adam and Kyle and that's, that's, we're friends at the end of the day and we're able to talk through things and life things and teach each other to be better and be better leaders. Well, I think, you know, some of the sentiments that you all just said really kind of flow into uh, the next point I really wanted to ask you all. Uh, so most people assume that mentorship must always remain within professional parameters. So you can only rely on your mentor or therefore mentee just for career advice. But that doesn't really maximize the entire capacity of a mentorship relationship. So how have you all been able to get to know each other and understand each other better just beyond working with each other? I think that's a really good question too. And, and that hits the nail on the head of, of what me and Kyle love to talk about, right? Is, is how to create those better relationships. So that's a really cool question to hear. And it's refreshing. Um, I think for me and Kyle, it's, it's, we started off with that transparency, you know, we sometimes will wear our emotions on our sleeves and sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's a bad thing. We try not, you know, one, one thing that he taught me very early on was do not drive your decision-making based off how you're feeling in the moment. So understanding that, but also understanding that being transparent and laying out your emotions to your person, to your guide, to your girl, no matter who it is, to your mentee, to your mentor, um, will allow you to understand each other more. And like I said, that naturally allows things to flow, right? So if I had like, there was a specific time I had an accident in my family with my dog, my dog got injured, right? And I had the comfortability to go to Kyle and talk about these things, right? It's, it's not forcing it. That was not forced. I had a traumatic experience with something that I love in my life. I talked to Kyle. He mentors me. I said, you know what? He gives me great advice at work and career. I might as well take this to him, you know, and get his advice there. And then that builds that psychological safety, that builds trust, that builds a room that's judgment-free, and it allows you to openly communicate what's going on in each other's life. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed is that there's a big parameter around the quote, it's okay to not be okay. And that's stopping you by believing in that, that's stopping you from holding in your emotions, right? And holding in your mental battles that you need to talk about. And that's what a mentor can be there for personally, not just professionally, but personally be there to talk about anything you're going through and naturally opening up without forcing it will allow one to get closer with their mentor or mentee. Oh. You know, adding on to that, that was beautiful, Adam. I think one thing that's been very clear to me is that having that support and that rock, um, and that, and I think one thing 
that's allowed us to build a relationship better is a rare disease. And that's something that brings a lot of challenges and struggles to my day to day. And what's allowed me and Adam to build our, our mentor mentee relationship better is he's able to learn and understand what those challenges are and see how it can support me and support the broader community and be a voice in that. And that's why I encourage you all to, when you're going through mentorship relationships, is go beyond just the professional development piece and understand what are their passions, what are their, what are their, their whys that maybe aren't necessarily tied to the job. Like do they enjoy advoca- uh, advocating for, um, you know, environmental issues or are they do they enjoy i don't know knitting like find find those passion things and get involved in them and that's been something that's very important to me is he's been able to be a supporter and be a true ally and being able to develop a different type of relationship that goes beyond just that professional lens on top of all the amazing uh hanging out and family and stuff like that wow i really like um two things that you all both hinted on but adam building and i'm not quite sure when you said the word my eyes kind of lit up a little bit because i think that most people completely miss this concept so we always say rome wasn't built in a day but it can be destroyed in a day and so a lot of times when people look at you know those uh, relationships that they have they think that has to be the perfect relationship from day one but in reality it's a process you have to actually build it so then when there are times of challenge or you know as you talked about the ups and downs of it so when you do kind of go through the the wave of that you really have that foundation that's already kind of built so that it's only can get stronger and moving forward. And so I really liked how, how you touched on that. And then um, Kava as well, you know, shared interests. This goes back to the same thing Adam said earlier, but we're all humans. We're humans who then work in healthcare. We're not just healthcare administrators all the time or the moment we step inside the hospital and then leave. So I'm sure at some point, all of us have some type of commonality amongst us, whether that's food, you know, TV shows or uh, other things, but finding those common points and really kind of using that as a basis of like conversations can really start a lot of those strong relationships. So uh, I like how you guys touched on that. Hey, for us, it's also travel too. I think uh, I've had, I've had a, he dragged me on trips. I've dragged him on trips. So we're, we're making use of those miles for sure. (laughs) Well, I like that. Um, so I guess I want to ask you all a couple of questions regarding just like healthcare in general. The healthcare landscape has been shifting dramatically. And there's been just a lot of innovation occurring within the healthcare space. I'm curious to hear from your perspective, what are some key trends happening now and how will that play out or look like in the future of healthcare? You know, I have two um, that really have been pretty prominent recently and what I've noticed with my role the Cleveland Clinic now, as well as what I'm seeing at home. Um, there are two trends that also go hand in hand a little bit too. Um, it will be, uh, you know, the technology shift in surgical departments and, you know, surgery being driven by robotics, as well as caregiver well-being burnout. Um, one thing I've noticed with that is they go hand in hand, especially with my father. My father has been practicing medicine for 30 years now. He's 56, getting a little old. He's getting on that that side of his, you know, retirement's coming across soon, probably be like 65, 66 when he's done. Um, and, you know, he's so used to doing surgeries really on his own. So that new trend of robotic surgery coming in to do, you know, those entry-level surgeries, those procedures, and it's starting to vamp up and get a little higher now. Um, you know, it's hard for, it's a great innovation, but it's hard for that, that let that last generation of providers that are still so prominent with trying to understand they're already stressed, they're already burning out. And now they have to learn how this robotic surgery is going to complete what they were doing for them. And then they're going to have to adjust. And if you look at the statistics, there is error 
of of human deficiencies and and being affected negatively negatively by these surgical procedures, right? And then the doctor has to clean that up as well, right? So those go hand in hand. So you know the the trend in surgical uh, robotic surgery is growing, as well as caregiver well being and burnout. Those going hand in hand are definitely trends that are going um, up. They, they're also a good thing for the surgical robotics. Um, as well as caregiver well-being could be good too with adding more awareness to it, but it also has its negative effects too. It's like a double-edged sword. Hmm. I think for me, those are two great topics for me. I think one is looking at new payment models. And I think the shift to value-based care, um, everybody talks about it, but I don't think everybody really knows what it is going to look like. So understanding, you know, how does a Cleveland clinic who does highly specialized care and deals with the sickest of the sickest patients get involved in value-based care contracting or models. And frankly, that's the million dollar question. So how do we create a system and drive innovation forward to work with payers in our health system to deliver value in a way that um, lowers overall healthcare costs and delivers better patient care for patients. I think the second one is personalized medicine. And that's very personal to me, the pun personal personalized medicine. But I think for me, you know, understanding how can you use your genetics and the various technologies to truly pinpoint treatment modalities for cancer or other things. Because I think at some point we're going to get to a place where we're going to have such specific ways to treat certain things that it only makes sense to deal with your genetic makeup. It's, it's expensive. It's, it takes time, but I see the future of healthcare really being driven in that personalized based model. Wow. Again, two or four really great points. And, um, um, you know, Adam, you spoke about, you know, just technology and the innovation that's really done in, in healthcare. And, and I think to some degree, a downside of that is really just the learning curve for a lot of providers in that technology. I can even remember, uh, you know, my mom and she was, she used to do mainly charting. And then now they actually have, you know, kind of smart phrases now. So you can kind of type out one or two things and it finishes it. And at, initially, it was this huge, oh, well, what is this? You know, it's, that's not what I said. But then once you actually get a chance to really kind of work with the system and learn it, wow, it's so much simpler. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see a lot of, again, great innovations within technology to see how we can alleviate a lot of those burdens from our providers so that they can either focus on the things that they care about or really kind of provide the best care to our patients. So i um, super excited to see how that will look like in the future. Then, of course, value-based care, that is the hottest topic on the block in healthcare right now. So just literally seeing how we can, you know, revitalize our entire healthcare infrastructure to really kind of equate for that, which I think is definitely like a, a huge feat. But um, seeing two uh, faces like you all in healthcare, I'm sure you are up for the challenge. So I'm excited for that. So just as we end off and uh, just on the last note, if you all could share one piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be? Uh, one piece of advice. It's always a hard one. Um Oh boy. I think I'm going to give two. I'm going to give two. I'm sorry. I'm going right. to go against the brain here. Um, Your own rules. I think I know that that's, 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 that's how it is. It seems like with Kyle under with the helm. Um, no, my uh, first one is just say yes. And when I say that is, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, to dive into things, obviously be intentional to overwhelm yourself. I think a lot of the opportunities we've had has been very much, um, because we just asked and, and pursued and said yes to things. Secondly, and it ties into that, is wherever you're at in your career, wherever you're at, whether you're um, just starting out or a senior executive, try to loop in others into your work and also get involved in others. I think the value that um, Adam and I have had in our mentorship relationship is that we've been able to work together on projects and learn together. So continuing to ask the kind of 
or get involved in stretch projects or get involved in things that maybe aren't in your purview to learn more. It'll always keep things exciting and curious. So those are my two. Sorry for breaking the rules, everybody. <laughs> okay. So for myself, right, it's it's based around life that is it, this advice is applicable into your career, also your personal life, you know. Um, one of my greatest mentors, um, his name's Eric Vidmar. He's a senior director of the Cleveland Clinic Nevada Center. Um, he taught me, you know, if you wake up every day, um, you know, with a new mindset of how you'll attack that day, how you'll get out of your comfort zone, how you will take a chance, you know, to push yourself and go to a new level um, and, and how to get out of your, your comfort zone, right, and, and push your boundaries, you know, you're going to fail, reflect on that failure, get up, keep going, um, you know, and, and learn why you're in the process, right? And Eric, you know, he started at, he was a fellow at the Cleveland Clinic, then he went to Abu Dhabi, then he went out to Nevada, right? So seeing his his journey and how he's he's worked very hard, he's gotten, he's tried different locations and he got out of his comfort zone, he moved, he tried new things. And that's something that I definitely take with me everywhere I go. As I go to bed, I reflect on the day, I say my grace. I wake up, it's a new day. Let's kill the day. Let's seize the day and, and move forward and, you know, take those chances and get out of my comfort zone. That's the advice that I, I love to give everybody is get out of your comfort zone. Well, what a perfect wrap up to today's episode. Um, so I just want to thank you all both for joining us on the podcast today. I think, you know, everyone from students, early careerists to already kind of healthcare executives can all learn something from what you all discussed today. So I'm really glad I was able to have you guys on uh, recorded today. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Juan. So as always, we want to thank all of our listeners for listening to the podcast. And if you all like the episode, please be sure to subscribe.